welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Today, I have one point that I'd like to make. It's going to take me a little bit of time to get there, but I have one point that I want to make. And uh, this is a, uh, you're going to need your thinking caps. I, I usually don't um, go this deep. Like we're in the deep end of the pool today. So buckle up. Um, if, if, you're, if you're not up for it, get your phone out, Minecraft, whatever you need to do. Um, that's cool. I get it. Uh, but I just, Surgeon General's warning, all right? Um, last week, we talked about uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. And Paul really, um, he, he sort of puts his, his toe in the pool uh, that he's about to jump into, which we're going to do today. Uh, and last week, he talked about this idea of his credentials as an apostle being written on the hearts of the people in Corinth, right? And so the invitation was, who are you investing in? Uh, who's investing in you? This is not a question of age either, young, old. Who's investing in you and who are you investing in? And then I offered the challenge of, if Awaken is a, a place where we have Jesus at the center, this well of living water, um, do we know people that are thirsty? And are we inviting them to participate in the life of this community and the things that we've experienced as life-giving here? Um, so just a reminder of that. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. And usually I have people stand when we read the scriptures. This is a really long passage, so um, I'll just have you stay put, if that's okay. Uh, so we'll start in verse 7, and we're going to go all the way into chapter 4. So here we go. Buckle up. I know, this is a big one. This is a big one. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? He's sort of playing off of this, the law and Moses and Christ and the gospel, the Spirit, okay? That's what we're going to do today. Uh, verse 12. Did I skip a verse? No. 10. 10, I'm sorry. Verse 10. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, the law, how much greater is the glory that, uh, of that which lasts, the gospel, what Christ has done. So verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Okay, the referencing of the law. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the evil is taken or the veil is taken away. You can make evil out of that word. Um, uh, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image from one ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Chapter 4. Therefore, since, we, or since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we've renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. He's, he's again, sort of saying, listen, this is who we are. We're not something that you think we are. We're, we're actually apostles. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And if our gospel, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The word there is icon, the icon of God. 
For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Pray with me. God, this is a big one. This is a, uh, man, I, I get the sense that even for me, this has been a fundamental shift. And so God, I pray that today the, the, the proverbial coin drops in the slot for us that we would get and understand what Paul is doing here and how important it is, this contrast between what, what was, this law, uh, religion, even fundamentalism and rules and regulations in light of what you have done and what you offer. Gospel, grace, by your spirit. So God, help us to see um, by your spirit. Give us eyes to see you, ears to hear you, I pray. In the strong name of Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Okay, friends. Two parts to uh, this series, Veils and Mirrors. Um, By the way, first hour was the same way. You guys sounded different when you were singing as a church. Did it feel weird to have them sort of behind the screen? Was it weird for anybody? Yeah, a little little awkward, like there was something in between us. Like, I wanted to see Ben's face, you know, I wanted to, because usually when when Ben leads us, you can see his face, and when Ben sort of gets into it and goes for it, it sort of gives us freedom to go for it, but when we can't see him, we're all kind of like, ah, I'm not really sure, should I go? At least that, that's, that was my feeling sitting over here listening and watching it all unfold. Um, veils and mirrors. We considered trying to do the Timberlake tune, mirrors, but um, we decided not to. I'm not sure if that's good or bad. But uh, this week, veils. What happens when the law or fundamentalism, religion, Okay, I'm using all these terms synonymously. What happens when that becomes our norm? What happens when that becomes the place from which we live and, and sort of move and have our being, as it were? Um, what, what, is it, what does it mean to begin to, or what does it mean to say that you begin and you, you, you begin with a deficit in this system? Okay, and what can this system produce? That's what Paul's really asking us to consider uh, uh, in these first past, this first section we're going to study today. Next week, mirrors. The latter half of this passage where he talks about being transformed into the likeness of God from one degree of glory to another, some translations say. What does that look like and how does that happen? What does it mean to say that we have everything that we need in the spirit? We have everything we need in Christ. We don't begin with a lack or a deficit, but we have everything that we need. And, re- and instead of trying to fill the void, actually our lives become a, uh, uh, essentially becoming congruent with, with what's already true in Christ. Totally different places that you start from, right? That's what Paul's contrasting. That's the question he's asking. This morning, I want to start with this question. Think about this. Rhetorical question, don't answer it. How do you grow spiritually? When you think about your insides, right? Like your, your spiritual life. And I'm, and I'm using that term in the loosest of, wor- of ways, in the non-evangelical, you know, your spiritual life. No, like your spirit. How, how do you grow spiritually? What has to be present in order for that to happen? Is it a list of truths that you ascend to, you mentally ascend to, that you you say yes to, I believe these things? Is it reading your Bible more? Is it praying more? Is it going on missions trips more? Is it giving more to your local church? Is Is that what changes you? Is that what makes you grow spiritually? Or is it something else? I would submit that we grow spiritually, that we're transformed from the inside out 
when we experience what we believe to be true as real. So if I have all this list of things that I believe to be true, when I experience these things as real, I'm changed. If these just remain what I believe, they will not change you. You can say till you're blue in the face that you believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. But until you experience that reality as real, which we'll get to next week, a little teaser, you won't be changed by it. It won't make any difference. You can say you believe that God is present even in the midst of your suffering. But until you experience that truth as real in your mind, in your imagination, in a mirror, so to speak, you won't be changed by it. But when you do, oh, the keys unlock the door. And things begin to happen in us and we're changed from the inside out. This is what Paul's getting at next week, okay? So this week, what is it with this, these veils? I want to suggest that if, you've, if you're stuck, like you're, you're, in, a, you're in a place uh, of a spiritual stagnation or you're just not moving or you're kind of like, ah, I want to grow, or, but nothing's happening, I want to submit to you that it's probably not because of bad theology it's not because of you, you, you need to pray more or you, you haven't been praying enough. It's not because you haven't been serving at Awaken or whatever church you go to. It's not because you're not giving or it's not because you're not, 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 not. It, that's not why you're stuck. Rather, chances are you don't experience as real the things that you say are true. They're just things that you say are true. But when you actually experience them as real, we change, we grow. Before I go any further, I want to I um, cite a source that uh, has been super influential for me. I'm on a journey in this, and I'm just sort of beginning uh, to try to integrate the, these ideas into my own life and my own practices as a person who follows Jesus. So if you know of Greg Boyd, uh, a book called Seeing is Believing has been just transformational for me. Uh, if, you, if you're interested in anything I'm saying in the next two weeks, I highly recommend getting this book. Okay, So are you ready? Here we go. Uh, week one, veils. So we read this passage, and uh, we're going to look at verses 7 to 11, right? Here's what Paul says. If the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters of stone, came with glory. He's talking about Sinai. He's talking about the law. He's talking about Moses. He says, if this thing came, that which was on stone came, and it came with glory, meaning it was good. It had some goodness to it. Uh, so the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation, the law, was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? So he's setting up a classic sort of co compare and contrast. The law and Moses, Jesus and the Spirit. Okay? And when I say law and Moses, I'm translating that out. I'm sort of pulling a few threads because where that goes or the seeds of that end up becoming what the Pharisees are in Jesus's time, right? These group of people who are just all about the rules and you're in or you're out based on the rules and whether or not you live into them. And then I would say from there, the law to Phariseeism comes what we would say legalism, fundamentalism, religion, okay? I'm not saying that's all bad, but it's not the spirit. All right, that's where we're going. So in order to sort of get this, uh, I, my one point that I'm trying to make today, we sort of have to go on this journey and we have to go all the way back almost to the beginning to Genesis chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. Genesis 12, uh, this is what um, 
God says to Abraham, then Abram, soon to be Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Get this. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Okay? So here's what's happening. In Genesis chapter 3, we have what many of us would refer to as the fall of humanity, right? Adam and Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They choose to live outside of what God has created as righteous or uh, the garden or the kingdom of God, where the hopes, dreams of God are reality, right? They choose to live outside of that and they eat from this tree. God's response to this tragic turn of events is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where God comes to Abram and says, Abram, leave your father, your mother, go to this land I will show you, and from you and your seed, I will redeem all of creation. This is God's great rescue plan, okay? This is the large narrative arc of the scriptures. Genesis 3 happens, God's response to Adam and Eve and their choice and humanity's choice is Abram. Through you, this is the first covenant promise that we get from Yahweh, that through you, your seed, I will redeem, restore, recreate creation, okay? This is where the whole thing's headed. Tracking so far. All right, now, uh, what shows up a little bit later is what we call this people group named Israel, right? These are Abraham's sons and daughters. Uh, Father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them and so are you, right? This is where it comes from, okay? Jacob has 12 sons. They become the 12 tribes of Israel. Just a little Old Testament history here, friends. From Israel comes, this is what we just read, Moses, who is a mediator of what? What do we just read about? The law, right? Moses mediates the law, or what the Jews call Torah, to the people of God. Now, here's the million-dollar question. Why? What's the point of the law? If this is the original promise, that through Abraham and Abraham's seed that God would redeem, restore, recreate the world, why do we need this? What's the function of the law? What does it even do? Why bother? Any guesses as to the time that, ex that goes by between Mo uh, Abraham and Moses? 700 years, a little less than that. A little less than that. I won't keep you on the, on the string for too long. 430 years later, Israel gets the law. Torah. 613 commandments of the Old Testament, okay? Turn to Colos I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 3, if you will. Galatians chapter 3. Now, this, is a, this, this idea, law or Torah, okay? I'm using in a very broad brushstroke, right? And I'm connecting this to, remember, the Pharisees of Jesus' time because they essentially um, consume the law. It becomes everything to them. It's the only thing that matters and they measure everybody else against the law, and themselves, right? The reason why Yahweh has not come back to Israel for the Pharisees of Jesus' time is because of the sinners in the camp, right? So these, this is what the Pharisees feed on, okay? And I'm sort of drawing a line to what we would call modern-day legalism 
and uh, uh, religion when it goes really bad, and fundamentalism. Okay? Everybody tracking so far? Now, Galatians chapter 3. What's the purpose of the law? If this is God's rescue plan, what is this doing and why is it important? Look at what Paul says in Galatians 3, chapter, uh, verse 15. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to the hu a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. What's he just said there? Yahweh has established a covenant. This is the covenant, okay? It can't be tampered with or messed with. It's still intact, he goes on to say. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So the whole point is the seed that comes from Abraham, which is Christ. If you follow the line all the way back from Jesus, it goes to Abraham, okay? Then he says in verse 17, what I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. It doesn't, doesn't nullify this. No, no. In fact, it does something very different than that. If the inheritance depends on the law, what, had, what came later, and no longer depends on the promise, what came before, God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. He didn't tell Moses that he was going to redeem and restore and recreate the world through him and the law. He told it to Abraham. So Paul says, why then was the law given at all? Verse 19, it was added because of transgressions until the seed of the promised one, Jesus, came. So Paul's whole point here is the law, which comes 430 years after the promise given to Abraham. The law comes because these people are killing each other. These people are making a mess of it. They're running around doing all kinds of things that are not life-giving. And so the law comes to Moses to sort of, well, let's do it this way. Imagine that everybody's got a driver's license. Even your teenage daughters and sons and your nine-year-olds. Buddy, you got a driver's license. How old are you? You're 11. He's got a driver's license, okay? Everybody's got a driver's license, friends. And you've all got automobiles. You've, you've got motorized vehicles to do this with. Mopeds, sure, whatever you want, you've got it. Now imagine there are no traffic rules. There are no traffic laws. So it doesn't, there's, there's no determining which way somebody's gonna drive down the street. You can be on one side or the other, going whatever direction you want to. There are no stop signs. There are no traffic lights. There are no people, there are no, there, there, there are no rules that say when you merge, you should probably be merging at a higher speed than what you actually are because the people who are coming behind you are going 65. So when you merge, please, for the love of God, do not merge at 30. At least get it up to 50 so people aren't driving into your trunk. There's no, there's no rules. Now imagine the chaos that would ensue, right? Somebody comes up to the stop sign and they just feel like, you know what? I'm, I've had a rough day. I'm just going to keep driving. And somebody else is like, I've had a rougher day. Wango, traffic you know, it's, it's a nightmare. Broken bones, people dead everywhere. It's, a, it is, it is, it is not, it's not good. It's like, it's like the apocalypse. Now imagine if this was our scenario and people were like running roughshod all over the place in automobiles, motor, you know, we, we've got motor vehicular homicide happening every day. And all of a sudden the legislature is like, hey, we should probably make some rules that sort of govern the way people drive their cars so that people don't kill each other. Right? And so they say there'll be green lights and red lights. They'll alternate one way this way so that people don't run into each other during, uh, you should, when you merge, you should do so over 50 miles an hour so that the people who are driving on the freeway don't hate you. 
um, there will be stop signs, and when you come to one, you stop, and you look all bo- both ways, and then you proceed. So all of these rules are added after the fact. Why? So we don't kill each other, right? Paul is essentially saying the law functions in this way. They came after the fact so that humanity didn't kill each other, so that we, pr- so that we, we, we started moving in the direction of life-giving things, not towards life-taking things or activities. Now, in other places in Scripture, it talks about the law as a shadow of what's to come, right? So think about what we saw over here. Do we, is that Ben or is that a microphone stand? Well, no, it's not. It's a shadow of the real thing. It's a shadow of what is. The law, what the Pharisees feed on, what we sort of call religion, legalism, fundamentalism, it cannot produce life. It can only be a ruler or a measurement that you see yourself in comparison to. The law, religion, rules and regulations cannot produce joy and life. In fact, they can only produce death. What does a traffic law do? It tells me who's breaking the law. What does the law, what do the rules and regulations do? If, if that's all we have, it only shows that I can't meet it. It only shows my distance from the law or the true sense of how I'm supposed to live. It only shows the distance between me and what I'm supposed to be. It can't produce righteousness. It can't produce joy. It can only produce sin or the knowledge of sin. Now, here's the important part. If the law can't produce righteousness and joy, then what can it produce? That's it. It can only produce these things. Why does Paul make such a big deal out of this? Because many of us start putting our faith and our trust in the rules and who is in and who is out is determined by all of the rules and my sense of self-worth my sense of self, my being, your, my sense of your self-worth is determined by this system. And it only produces death. Is it good? Yeah, it's good, right? He says it had glory. It, it had, serves a point. It serves a purpose. It helps show us. But it is not the end game. The end game is something far more beautiful, far more glorious, far more unbelievable than this. But how many, by show of hands, think about this question. How many of, of us in this room know somebody who was in search of the God who's the, about this and who ran into this and never came back? I've heard some of you say, this is my last shot. This church, if this isn't it, I'm done. Why? Why? Because we have mistaken this for this. We have put all of our eggs in this basket. We've created systems and structures and 
institutions around this, keeping track of the rules and the regulations and how we do communion and how we do baptism and if you did this and if you didn't do that and, and then we determine who's in and who's out and my self-worth is based on this. That is not the gospel, friends. That's antithetical to the gospel. This only shows my deficit. It only shows that I can't measure up and that I have to keep working, which is why by the dancing way, every major religion in the world has some sort of way that they fill the gap or try to fill up the cup because it's not full. We call it works, right? Every religion. And when Christianity goes wrong, we do it too. Even though we've got the truth about what has happened and who God is. Oh, friends, if we could get this, if the coin will drop in the slot here, it is, what does Paul say? Freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. This is a, it's like an anchor around your neck. You cannot live up to the law. You cannot, you can't, live into all the rules. You can't do it. Oh, but grace. Oh, but good news. This is what resurrection and Easter is all about. I mean, gosh. Gang, this is so big. This is so, so important. This whole system, it begins with a deficit and it only shows you that you don't measure up. In religion, uh, it produces a system where the only outcome is a deficit, where you're not spiritual enough, you're not good enough, you're not, you're not, you're not. And so we try to fill it up. And in Christianity, it takes the form of you should pray more. You're not praying enough. You probably don't have enough faith, right? There's a gap. You lack. Uh, you should fast more. You know, some things only happen by prayer and fasting. And clearly, this one's, this one's fasting, and you're not fasting. That's why it's not happening. It's a lack. You, you have a deficit. You're not quite up to snuff, right? Uh, you should give more. You know, um, if you want to be blessed, you should probably give to the church. I'm just saying. <laughs> you should be nice more. You should read your Bible more. You should uh, have more quiet times. You should lust less. You should look at porn less. You should uh, vote Republican, right? It's just all these things. That was a joke. <clears throat> Newsflash. It doesn't work. It cannot work. It is the devil in disguise. Paul says it's gospel, it's grace, it's the spirit and what God does through Jesus and in Jesus and now in you that gives life. Not this. So don't settle for that. Don't go back. It was good and it was transitory. Love that word, transitory. It was passing, fleeting. And what has come and what is offered to you and to me is grace. Friends, by faith, by faith, you are a new creation. What does that mean? It means that everything that is true of Jesus is true of you. You lack nothing. You are a king. You are a queen. You are a son, a daughter. You are adopted into a family. You have a name. You have been forgiven, reconciled, redeemed, clean, made whole. You don't lack anything. But how many religious systems preach, not quite getting there. You just don't quite, right? And we're made to feel guilty and shameful. Oh, man, if I could throw this thing out the window, I would. I think Paul would, too. I think he would get this animated, because it's this big of a deal. If it, the coin drops in the slot on this one, game changer. Game changer, right? Because this feeds into all the things I say I believe about such and such. And I can get them all down, and I can memorize them, and I can get them lined up nice and neat. But it won't change my heart and it won't change yours. What would make you more loving? What would transform your neighbor who's a, just a grinch? This? No. 
Friends, we say this is going to make your life better. You will hate yourself. It will make your life miserable. You will be miserable if you try this, if you try to live this. Religious systems and fundamentalism and rules and regulations. If you try to live this out, it will kill you. You will always be wanting more. You will always be found wanting because you cannot do it. Oh, but grace. Something has been declaratively done in and through the act of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, his death and resurrection, that says something about you. And as we experience these things that we know to be true about ourselves as real, Paul says we're transformed into the image of God. We're transformed into the likeness of Christ. So the key is, and, and I'm wrapping this up, I'm landing this sucker right here. To the degree that we can understand what it is that's true and what is gospel, that you have everything that you need, that you have been forgiven, made clean, made whole, new creation. That's what's true of Jesus, so it's true of you. If we can understand that, and then we can learn to experience that as real, we're changed, transformed from one degree of glory to another. And for many of us, we need to repent, which means teshuva, turn away, go the other direction, from this, because this is what we were taught, this is what we were told, this is, what we're, this is where we're living. And it's all about who's right and who's wrong and who's on the left and who's on the right and which person voted for what. And gang, repent. It is, it is a lie and it doesn't give life. Gospel, grace, Jesus. For many of us in this room, this is good news. I wanna, maybe I'm the first to say, this is not what Jesus is about. So be free. Be free, little birds. Fly away. Don't believe it. This is not what Jesus is about. When I started this church, I had this dream that people would come into contact with and they would see Jesus for who Jesus really was. And I know that's a huge, massive, well, great idea, Micah, but then you got involved. I get it, and we got involved, but that's my hope, that's my prayer that people would come into this community, they would walk through these doors, they would walk through the doors of your homes, and they would see, at least in part, and in increasing degrees of who Jesus is, and we would be changed by it. So here's my invitation to you today. We're going to receive communion. And really, it's veils and mirrors, right? Paul talks about the mind, and we'll unpack this next week. The mind is the place where we behold Jesus, we, we, where we see the images of God and directed by the Spirit, we behold God in our mind. And as we do, we're transformed. So today, lose the veils. Like, walk away. Repent. Go the other direction. And head towards this. A God who says, I'm with you and I'm for you. And I've died on your behalf. This is my body, Jesus said with his friends, broken for you. When you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. This is my blood, which will be shed for you. A new covenant, a new deal for you in my name. When you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. Just bread and just wine. But so much more. And as you come, 
if you choose. We, if you don't want to look into the mirror, I get that maybe that's a little weird for some people. Uh, it's kind of weird for me. Um, there's also a station upstairs with gluten-free and glutinous options for those of you who are in that camp. Uh, and come, take the bread and dip it. And I just want you to, just for a moment, look at what you see. What's happening in you? What's God doing in you? As you take the bread and the cup and you drink and you eat. So I'm going to offer a word of prayer and then I would invite you to come uh, at your leisure um, and just kind of peel off to the sides for traffic flow and if you're upstairs, you can navigate that. The kids will be coming in and uh, we do this thing with the kids of, the, the rabbis used to say to the little ones, may the word of God be like honey on your lips. And so uh, I get to do that and I don't share that with anybody um, and I never will. So they'll be coming. Uh, pray with me. God, as we enter into this time, of reflecting and thinking about who you are. Oh, Jesus, would you make yourself real to us in our minds that we might even see your face and your eyes and what they look like. Holy Spirit, guide us. Take the things that are in our hearts that are not of you, that are influencing this, take them away, move them to the side and guide us to truth. You are the spirit of truth, your scripture says. So spirit of truth, lead us. Lead us to wells of living water where we see Jesus, where we experience the things that we know are true as real and they change us. May it be true. May it be so. We agree. Amen. Come. online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.